You know, a few years prior to the Gulf War, Barbara Walters, she's still around anymore? I know she retired from something, so. Anyway, Barbara Walters was big in the news back then. She filed a report on gender roles in Kuwait. And uh, in the report, she noted that in traditional Islamic fashion, women customarily walked approximately 10 feet behind their husbands. Barbara returned to Kuwait after the war and realized and observed that the men now walked several yards behind their wives. Curious as to what had changed in that tradition, Barbara approached one of the women and asked for an explanation. She said, it's marvelous. What has enabled women here to achieve this reversal of roles when the woman said landmines? You <laughs> <laughs> wanted her to walk first? Okay. How many survivors of the nuclear war does it take to change a light bulb? None. People who glow in the dark don't need light bulbs. How many televangelists does it take to change a light bulb? One. But for this message of hope to continue, send your donation to the dead. Humans have this problem. We don't like change. Right? We don't like change. We, we don't like things to change from what they are. Uh, if you walk into my office any given day of the month, you know, I change all the time. And so, you know, Carrie and Matt walk in and go, did you rearrange again? And I'm like, yes, I need to embrace change so that I don't become stagnant. So I'm always moving stuff around. But we've had this problem overall that we don't like change. How many of us have said at one time or another that I just don't like things to change? I want things to be like they were. So we don't like change. Or uh, do we? How many of you have a telephone in your house? Or in your pocket this morning? How many of you have TV? How many of you have a color TV? How many of you have a TV that will mount on your wall? How many of you have indoor plumbing? Whether it works or not. How many of you have a vacuum cleaner? Or a microwave? Or a computer? How many of you have high-speed internet? All of these are changes that we embrace and we end up loving, right? I remember a few years back, I was at a church and we were talking about how we could do VBS differently. And I was like, let's do it at the park. Let's come out to the church and go to the park and be in the community. And all these people who had always told me how when I was growing up, we didn't have air conditioner, said, we can't do that. There's no air conditioner. <laughs> we like change, I think, when it's something we want. My theory is that we don't like the possibility of not liking something. When we have something to replace that need in our lives, we get excited about the change. It's happened all through history. Now, this week's sermon found its creation in, in the past two weeks. Um, I had bought a freezer full of food before Carrie went into labor because I want to make sure we had enough food. And then I received a text while I was in the hospital. And we had this blessing of people in this congregation who brought us food. Every night, we would get a call. Somebody bringing us food, bringing us the meal for the night so we didn't have to do it. Every night, that happened. Then suddenly, one day this week, we didn't get a call. Carrie looked at me and said, what are we going to have? And I said, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it. I said, I don't know what we're going to eat, but suddenly I knew what I was going to preach. You'll see why in a minute. You'll see. Um, Today, I want us to look at how to have true victory in our lives. Over in Joshua, uh, in the first five chapters, or the first four chapters, should I say, you have, you know, this preparation of what needs to happen. You know, Moses is gone. Joshua has had to step up. He's had to be the man. 
And, you know, this is a change in his life. They have come out of Exodus under the leadership of Moses. They have traveled in the wilderness for 40 years because of their grumbling and because of their inability to do what God wanted them to do. And now we are here in the book of Joshua, this book where they are going to come in and things are going to change. They're going to go from being a wanderer to being a conqueror. So how do we do that? And for me, the answer is in Joshua chapter 5, starting in the first verse. It says, When all the Amorite kings across the Jordan to the west, and all the Canaanite kings near the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the Israelites, until they had crossed over, they lost heart and their courage failed because of the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelite men again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelite men and gave the Eth-Haral oath. This is the reason Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness along the way after they came out of Egypt. And though all the people who came out were circumcised, none of the people born in the wilderness along the way were circumcised after they had come out of Egypt. For the Israelites wandered in the wilderness 40 years until all the nation's men of war who had come out of Egypt had died off. Because they did not obey the Lord. So the Lord vowed never to let them see the land he had sworn their fathers to give us. A land full with milk and honey. And Joshua raised up their sons in their place. It was these he circumcised. They were still uncircumcised since they had not been circumcised along the way. And after the entire nation had been circumcised, they stayed where they were in the camp until they recovered. The Lord then said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. Therefore that place is called Gilgal to this day. And while the Israelites camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they kept the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month. The day after Passover, they ate unleavened bread and roasted grain from the produce of the land. And the day after they ate from the produce of the land, the manna stopped. Since there was no more manna for the Israelites, they ate from the crops of the land of Canaan that year. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel for the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his, and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Man, what a story. Here they are, they've been wandering for 40 years. They've been doing all this same thing for 40 years. I have a kid at home who fancied the same thing for five minutes. He goes, I'm bored. Can you imagine for 40 years you've wandered the desert? For 40 years this has been your life. And here you come in. The leader that you have known has died. Now there's a new leader and he says, we're going in. We're going to do this. No more are we going to wander. No more are we going to be the ones who are stuck here. We're going to go in. And the first thing we find is that the fear of God is put into the enemies of the faith. Up to this point, the enemies of faith had nothing to fear. Forty years before, a group of spies was sent in. They looked around. They brought their reports. And they said, we can't do this. And the people out of fear didn't go in. And then they said, well, well, but we're going to try anyway now. Because they heard it was bad. Because they heard that God was mad. They said, we're going to try anyway now. And they got beat. And they got beat bad. And so the people of the land, guess what? They didn't have anything to fear. They had nothing to fear. They didn't know anything. But here, the children look up to heaven and watch as God parts the water of Jordan. And they put the stones there in the middle of the Jordan. And they march across and they make camp and they prepare themselves. They worship. They put fear into the enemies of God by simply doing the preparations that God required of them. Did you catch that? To live lives of victory, we have to be prepared. 
go through the preparation. We have to do the things that God wants us to do. Now you're going, well, what's that? Well, for one, it's Bible reading. We cannot know our Bible if we don't read our Bible. We can't say, yep, I know it. Because you know, there was a test for a seminary one time that I was looking at online. And they asked a question about who killed the giant in 1 Samuel 19 or 20. And of course, everybody put David, but it wasn't David, it was Jonathan. Because Jonathan killed giants too. But we don't know those things unless we read our Bible. We don't know. We have Bible reading. We also need to have Bible proceeding. We have to be living it out. We have to put ourselves under the will of God each and every day. It's that lifestyle, that preparation, that confidence that strikes fear into the heart of the enemies of faith. That's what it takes. We have to be prepared. We have to spend time with God. We have to spend time in worship. Spend time doing the things that God wants us to do. But it takes more than preparation to get there. It takes change. To live lives of victory, we have to break the manna mentality. Ooh, I love this. We've got to break the manna mentality. Now, look at me there in verse 12. That day, the manna stopped. <laughs> They've been walking for 40 years. They'd eaten manna every day of their lives for 40 years. Manna mentality is poverty thinking. Manna was grace. Manna was good. But manna was not the best. We're in the habit of living in God's good, but not living in God's best. We're in the habit of saying, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with where you have me. You may want me to go further, but I'm not ready to go there. So I'm going to live here in your good because your good's good enough for me. But God has the best planned over there somewhere. God has something more he wants you to have. He has something more that He wants in your life. When we read the words of Jesus, He says, I came that you can have a life and have it to the full. To have it abundantly. Not to just live life. Not to just be saved and go to heaven. That's not the point of the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't come just so you could go to heaven. And if a preacher told you that, there's something wrong with that thinking. He came that you could go to heaven and to transform your life here. To do something different. When we learn to break the manna mentality, we start to see giants fall. We start to see cities conquered. We start to see lands possessed for God that have never been possessed before. When we leave the manna mentality behind. When we quit thinking about the manna. We have to resist the urge to be manna Christians and start being Canaan Christians. Man, we got to move into Canaan. Think about this with the Israelites. They had the opportunity once and they didn't do it. we got to leave the wilderness and enter the promised land. got to leave the wilderness and enter the promised land. you got to go where God wants you to be. you got to be to that place. We can't do that with the man of mentality. Canaan Christians are different. They stand apart. Canaan Christians are enjoying the rich produce of the promised land. They're prepared to pay the price for obedience. They still have to go in and fight. They still have to go in and take the land. There are still people who die. When you get further into the conquest, you see those, those couple of tribes that want to stay in their own land on their side. They have to go in first in order to get things done. They're willing to 
pay the price. They have courage and they'll take a stand. They'll step out on faith and eat the food of faith. But for many Christians, that's not true. Maybe a man of Christian reads their Bible and reads their Bible and gets lots of information. But a living faith doesn't come from five-minute devotions. We have to spend time in the Word. We can't just read and read and read it in the wrong way. What are you reading for? Are you reading for information? Or are you reading for revelation? You can read and read and read and have a lot of information and have a religious spirit. Or you can read for inspiration and have revelation and find revival. There's the difference. It's how you come to the Bible. You know, there are classes, and, and I've actually been against these classes for a reason. People always get mad. You're a pastor. How can you be mad about that? Because they want to teach the Bible as a class in high school. Okay? Here's the problem with it. They're not teaching the Bible as revelation. They're teaching the Bible as information. They're teaching the Bible as literature. And so they get in there and they say, well, I know you read this here in Genesis, but that's not really what happened. That's how they poetically describe it. That's what happens in those classes. So traditionally, I'm not very good at those because I don't like those classes. Because I think when you read the Bible, you read it for inspiration. You read it for revelation. You read it so that God can change you. We need revelation in our Bible reading. We have to move away from the manna. Now, I'm not saying the manna wasn't good. Manna literally means what is it? They got up one morning and they said, man, what is this? What is it? It was an incredible substance. It was given every morning to feed the Israelites except the Sabbath. You couldn't store it because it would get wormy. It looked like round seeds. It had to be gathered early so the sun wouldn't melt it. It tasted like fresh oil and wafers made with honey. It was agreeable to almost everybody. And there were 4,500 tons of it every morning to feed the nation. This nation, what was left, manna was all they had ever known. It's all they ever knew. They got up in the morning, they collected the manna, and they ate it. That's what they did every morning for 40 years. Can you imagine if you're 20 years old? And the only thing you've ever known is getting up in the morning and your food is waiting on the ground. You just go outside and get it. I mean, even I've been able to drop the Dollar General. <laughs> but they could just get out and pick it up off the ground. And eat it. that's all they've ever known. They've only known that. They had grown up with miracles. A cloud by day and fire by night. Manna in the morning. And their clothes and their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. I'm on my third belt in the past year. They wore the same shoes, the same clothes, the same everything. And they were walking in the desert. They had learned to live this way. They were simply surviving. They weren't living. They were surviving. They had to break the manna mentality. Because the manna was good. Jesus himself called himself the manna the bread from heaven. But think about what Jesus says there. He's the bread from heaven. He's the grace. He's the way you enter in. But what are you entering into? Abundant life. The gift of the Spirit. 
the power that indwells. That's what you're getting by leaving that. Just because something from God is good doesn't mean that it's God's best. Even though manna was miraculous and wonderful and a great picture of God's grace, it wasn't God's best. You want to know why? It was supposed to be temporary. The truth of the matter is, we don't know if manna was always the plan for God during the year it was going to take him to prepare Israel, or if it only became because they grumbled. Because they get out, they leave with all this abundance from Egypt, they get out there a little ways, they cross the Red Sea. Everything's good, God's taking care of them, and they start saying, oh, We should just stay in Egypt, you brought us out here to starve us. Really? He just took out the Egyptian army. He, he parted the Red Sea. And you think he brought... That's what they do. They grumble. So God says, okay, I'm going to give you this manna. And he gives them manna. I don't know why. Was that always the case? It could have been. But it was supposed to be temporary. To bring Israel out of Egypt. To march across the desert. And then to enter and conquer the promised land and eat the fruit thereof. God didn't claim for it to be a long time. God didn't change his plan here. The people did. I know that's not popular. It's not popular to say, but I don't think God said, I, I, I want them to go and go into the land and say they don't want to do it. I want them to march for 40 years. God wanted them in the land. And they said, we can't do it. We just, God, I can't. He didn't make them go. He said, fine. If you won't go, you won't ever go. Fine. The people were afraid to follow God in the great unknown, but God didn't force, and God still doesn't force us to step out of faith. He still doesn't say you have to do this. He could. God could say, okay, you're going to do this. He's not a puppet master, though. He doesn't pull the strings and say, go do this. He may say, I really want you to do this. He may be calling you into a position that you never thought you'd be in. He may tell you to go somewhere. There's an old song, Lord, don't send me to Africa. Maybe God's sending you to Africa. I don't know. God may pull you in something you never thought of, and there are times when we say, no, 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 God, and we and we and we hold ourselves up there. I told Carrie that's what happened with Asher. He was like Tom Cruise of Mission Impossible, just holding on up there, said, I ain't coming out. I'm staying up in here. Because man, when she went later, he pushed further up in her belly. You can see his stomach just hanging out right here, right over here. His head was right here. His head was moving. I was like, yep. I ain't coming out. That's what God did. That's how we are with God No, God! I can't do it. I can't. But God wants us to go into his best. He offered his best, but they refused. <laughs> Can you imagine? This is what I have for you. I have promised this for hundreds of years. I have orchestrated this so that we are at this moment, in this point in time, so that you can go in and take this. Oh, they're bigger than we are, God. We can't do it. They really the guy who just parted the Red Sea and made it drop? <coughs> what would you have done if you were God? <laughs> you ungrateful little snots. I pulled you out of Egypt. I proved who I am, and you still won't go in. I'm just done. He tried to do that a couple times. Moses said, Don't do that, God. <laughs> but God shows his grace. What does he do? He says, Okay. And he still provides manna. 
and approximately 4,500 tons a day, six days a week for 40 years. For 40 years. Even when we hold ourselves outside his will, he'll still give us what's good for us. But as long as you're outside God's will, he won't give you his best. Now let's take that to heart. We can't expect to live outside his will and be blessed with the best. If everything is going wrong, maybe you need to stop and check and see where God, where you are in God's will, in relation to God's will. Where are you? Are you in God's will or are you out of God's will? If you're in God's will and things are going wrong, the devil may be after you. But if you're outside of God's will and you know it, there's a reason why things are going wrong. There's a reason why things don't happen. You know, I, I can't... I can't explain what it was like after I accepted a call in the ministry and I fought with God about that. And I still have... I have had parents in the past get upset with me when I was working with youth because youth would come and say, I think I'm called to preach. And I would say, if you could do anything else, do it. What? If you could do anything else, do it. And they're like, what do you mean? It's the way I can explain it. Because there's a part of me that if I'm not doing what God has called me to do, I'm never going to be satisfied. <coughs> Things are never going to work right. Things are always going to fall apart. Things are always going to be different. It's always going to be wrong when you're not in God's will. Manna is survival food. You can't be both a man of Christian and a Canaan Christian. Consider this. No cities in Canaan were conquered with manna. No giants fell while they were eating manna. No new cities were built while they were on manna. None of the promised land was gained while they were on manna. Manna was supposed to be temporary. It was to keep them alive in the wilderness. As long as they were eating manna, it meant they were still there in the wilderness, going in circles. Not a threat to the enemies of God at all. One more time around. One more time around. I'm not a big fan of the track. Because I feel like everybody watches you when you're at this track, just saying. It's in the middle of town and all that. So. But when you get out there and you start walking, and you get past that, you know, you get to that point where you're going, one more time around, that's the Israelites in the desert. Can you imagine? One more time around, one more time around, one more time around, and they just keep wandering, keep going in circles. Does that feel familiar this morning in your spiritual life? Are we walking in circles? Have you been there before? Are you just walking? You're surviving? You're just getting by? So what's a man of Christian? Well, I'm glad you asked. They're saved. They're not going to hell. They've got the grace of Jesus. But there's still grace available. The flesh beats the spiritual much of the time. They're uncommitted. They don't really stand for anything. They believe everything and everyone. They use the Bible for information rather than revelation. Psalm 111.10 tells us, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Info really doesn't matter. It's the revelation. A man, a Christian, blames others for their failure when they're just getting by. They're holding the fort until Jesus rescues them. I'm just holding the fort down when he comes back and calls my name. How boring is that? I mean, honestly. 
posted this on Facebook this week. The hardest part for me about a C-section is it disrupts every life in the house. It is so hard to sit home. It's so hard not to do anything. It's so hard to have to sit there and just be there. When we look to become a Canaan Christian, we have to realize the man of mentality has to go away. Maybe today you recognize that you are a man of Christian, that you've just been getting by, that you've been wandering in circles. You've been passing the same goalpost over and over and over again. Have you ever had that one sin? <laughs> that one sin. That one little thing. That no matter what you do, it's always there. And you just keep walking by. And, you, and when you fall, you fall back. Maybe it's because you are being a man of Christian. Maybe today you want to become a Canaan Christian. You want to start living in your promised land. You want to start taking cities. You want to start winning people for Jesus and possessing this land for Jesus' sake. You want to speak the gospel to everywhere, to everyone, to the secular people, the Muslims, the Hindus, the Buddhists. You can't do that on manna. You can't be bold on manna. You can't do that with maintenance food. Manna is maintenance food. It may have seemed abundant, 4,500 tons, but only enough for you. Think about that. That's a good one. With manna, you went out in the morning and you brought back just enough for you. <coughs> just enough for your faith. That's very dangerous for a believer, isn't it? I want just enough Jesus for me. I want just enough Jesus to get me there. I want just enough Jesus to get me over the finish line. A man, a Christian, is only concerned about the portion I have for me. There's no manna left over. There's none left to plant. There's no need to share because it keeps me alive. But God's plan is not just enough. It is abundance. It says in Luke 6, Give and it will be given to you a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's God's plan. Abundance. Back then and today. Today He wants us. If was only for you. No one else was blessed by man. There was no need to share because everybody had their own. Think about that. You know, I don't have to share man with the person next door. Why? Because they had their own. They walked outside and got it. But with Jesus, to be a Canaan Christian, we can't be like that. It's time to stop living with the man of mentality. We have to break the man of mentality of just surviving. We in this church... If we're going to grow and take the streets that belong to us, to take the lives that belong to us through Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, we have to break the man of mentality and step out in Christ and say, I'm going to take the promised land. I'm going to bring other people with me. I am not willing to let anybody go to hell. I'm not willing to let anybody die in their sin. I'm not willing to let anybody live a life that is defeated. I can't do it anymore. We have to be believers that walk and do that. How do we break the man of mentality? Well, it's an I thing. It's not somebody else. You have to do it. I can't break your man of mentality. I can tell you about it. I can point it out. But if you were living with a man of mentality, you have to make that decision. You have to do it. You have to say, I'm going to do this. You have to break the lifestyle of maintenance and survival and dig into who God is. Say, God, I want more of you. I want to know you. I want to know who you are. I want you to permeate every fiber of my being. I want to be different. When you begin to believe that you can become a channel of blessing for someone else, you begin to become a Canaan Christian. 
Man of mentality says it's enough for me, that's all. Things like I can't do anything for God because I need 47 more counseling sessions to set me free. So I can't possibly think of meeting someone else's needs. I can't pray for someone else. I've got plenty of problems of my own. I can't. That's the thing. Listen. You'll always be like that until you break the man of mentality and think, how can I be a blessing to someone else? The life of a believer is one that puts others first. Until you put others first, you'll always have your feast of manna. But you need to start sorting yourselves out of your poverty. Being a Canaan Christian is always seeking to be in God's best, even if it's uncomfortable. To go into Canaan meant that a whole generation had to come to the point of knowing that stopping the manna meant starting to fight. They went from cushy to dangerous. They went from wandering to comfort. It also meant starting to take possession of the wonderful promises of God. Now this isn't just for that generation, this is for our generation. Not the next one. Let us eat of the fruit of this land. Let us be Canaan Christians who go and take the word of Jesus to those around us. Let's not leave anybody out there wondering who Jesus is. Let's not let them think, oh well, he was a good guy. Well, I made a decision for him, so that's all that I need because they're missing out. They're missing something. If Jesus just gets you into heaven, that's all he ever does. There's something you've missed because there's so much more to it than that. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to serve missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning, maybe you've been living with a man in mentality. Jesus has given me enough, and that's all that I need. So I'm not going to share names because I don't have the right to, but I was, I spoke with someone this week who is dealing with an issue. And my faith was kindled, guys. Because they told me this is probably going to get me. But it ain't going to get me today. And when I asked them how I could pray for them, they said, just when you pray for me, thank God for all the blessings in my life because my life is truly blessed. That's a Canaan Christian. Someone who is looking at others and looking at what God has done and what God can do rather than what God did. God is still working today. Did you realize that? God still works today. Maybe this morning you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe everything I said to say, I want to know Him. I want that. Maybe, maybe you're not even a man of Christian yet. Maybe you haven't even taken that step of grace. Now's the day to do it. Don't let this day pass you by. Just come out of the awesome of the Detroit. I want to know Jesus and we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. Would you pray for me? Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you. For your